Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Alex Landrigan. Alex is an author shrouded in mystery. Within the pages of Crossings, he's introduced as a second-generation bookbinder in Paris. But then who is the former winemaker who has travelled the world writing? I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing con- connection to the land, land that was never ceded. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing, and literary culture. And in the Great Conversations podcast, we have a chance to hear more of these discussions and get into the books that you love. Final Draft's Great Conversations, it's, uh, we're fast approaching our first birthday, and in that time, there's more than 50 episodes featuring new books, as well as bonus episodes around festivals, awards, and publishers, and I really want to know which one was your favourite. And the way I want you to tell me is by voting with your ears. Go to wherever you listen to the podcast and listen back to your favourite episode, or listen to multiple episodes if you loved more. And when the first birthday arrives, I'm going to do a special uh, special segment talking about the most loved episodes and how they reflect our culture and our literature. Now, Crossings presents itself as a collection of three short stories and novellas. The first, a short story from the French poet Charles Baudelaire, entitled The Education of a Monster. The second, City of Ghosts, is a dark romance and mystery set in Paris on the eve of German invasion, while the final tells a tale of a mysterious being travelling through generations, moving from body to body, witnessing history unfold. Delve beneath the surface, however, and a much stranger story unfolding across generations reveals an enduring love and a horrifying tale of revenge. Join me as I speak with Alex Landrigan and discover Crossings. I am joined on the phone by Alex Landrigan. Now, Alex's biography may be just as intriguing as his novel that we are going to be discussing today, Crossings. Is Alex a second-generation bookbinder living in Paris? Or is he perhaps an author who has called many cities around the world home and whose talents include wine and cheese-making? Either way, I want to welcome Alex to Final Draft. Alex, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Now, I am in, I'm, I'm as intrigued by your, yourself as I am by the book Crossings, um, but we really, we really, for this show, we, we must discuss Crossings. Now, on the surface, the book is a collection of three short stories on novellas. The first is presented as a final tale entitled The Education of a Monster from the French poet Charles Baudelaire. The second, City of Ghosts, is a sort of dark romance and mystery set in Paris on the eve of German invasion. And the final tells the tale of a mysterious being travelling through generations, moving from body to body, witnessing history unfold. But I want to, I want to actually begin where the book begins, with your preface. I didn't write this book, I stole it. Immediately you invite the reader to subsume themselves to the narrative and become a conspirator in your literary mystery. And that's what, that's what hooked me, how involved I became. How, how important was it to you that the reader be an active participant? It's very important. Um, and uh, so re- listeners should know that this is a book that gives them the opportunity opportunity to make one, if you like, faithful choice at the beginning of the reading process, which is how are they going to read the book? There are two possible sequences, and one of them is to read it conventionally from front page to last, 
And the other is to follow an alternate sequence, which I call in the preface the Baroness sequence. Mm. In the Baroness sequence, they can zigzag around the book and follow the page indications at the end of each chapter. Um, this, to me, when I had the idea to, to, to order the book in this way, it seemed to me that um, it was fun and playful and interesting and innovative, but it was a lot more than that as well. It really kind of hooks into the themes of the novel, which are around migration, exile, and uh, multiplicity of identity. So you've just mentioned there the tantalising invitation to read the book in that alternate page order. Pity the person who ever skips a preface or an introduction in the book. They're, they're lost. They're going to hear this interview and be, be slapping themselves right now. <laughs> but if you choose, starting at, you can start at page 150 in a very different cohesive novel appears, winding a tale of love and murder through centuries and generations. I wondered by disturbing our traditional linear sense of how we should read and also how, we, how a story is created, are you also inviting us to consider the ways that we make meaning? Absolutely. That is um, exactly my intent. We live at a time, uh, perhaps more than ever, arguably, where we're living through a crisis of authenticity. We are about to enter into an age where technology can make the image of a person do and say anything. And so I really want to question this idea of reading without self-awareness. And this, uh, this multiple sequence idea was a way of doing that. I want to connect this book with the tradition, for example, of surrealism and Brechtian theatre and postmodernism where the pleasure um, is partly in the awareness of the activity that you're engaged in. And to show people that immersive reading, which is the way that we read novels most of the time, as pleasurable as it can be, is not the only kind of pleasure we can get from novels. I actually found um, you you did this extraordinary thing, and I realized, perhaps unconsciously, but definitely at times I, I, I do this deliberately, as I read a book, I, I find myself engaging almost almost falsely or in bad faith with the the novel. As I come towards the end, I can feel in my fingers that there is only maybe 100 pages, 50 pages, 20 pages. And that tells me something about what the author is going to do. Um, sometimes I feel very dissatisfied, like there aren't enough pages for the author to, to do something satisfactory here. And by flipping back and forth, I, that was I was completely shaken from that. Do you ever have that experience of, of just the tactile sensation of a book telling you something about the story? Yes. In fact, uh, when I'm reading a novel or any book about, uh, especially novels, I'm a chronic counter of pages because mm. I'm, a, I'm a slow reader. So I'm always kind of looking to, to the end and going, oh, yeah, and pacing myself this way. And what I'm finding um, as the writer of Crossings when readers tell me about their experience is that, and you've given yourself away, I, I know now that you've read the Baroness sequence, when people, when people read the Baroness sequence, they tell me that they actually have no idea where they are at in the novel. And that, uh, but at the same time, as one reader remarked, they always feel as if they are at the precise centre of the novel, almost as if they are exactly where they are meant to be. So it sounds like what I have devised uh, without meaning to, in a way, is um, a kind of new reading experience. Mm. 
And are the ebook publishers just breaking down your door with death threats right now about how they actually present crossings? Or are there two editions? Uh, no, um, what they've done, um, which is fantastic, I didn't ask them to do this, but I was hoping that they would, is they've hyperlinked the links at the end of every page so that there's no flipping of electronic pages. You just go straight through to the, to the, new, um, to the new chapter. Marvellous. That's the only other time that I find that sort of tactile sense being disturbed is, is when I read ebooks, And I don't like it when I read ebooks. I, I avoid them for that reason, but I loved it as I read Crossings. And I have given myself away. That was, that was a bit of a spur-of-the-moment question. Glad I, I resonated. I, the, the moment where I revealed that I had taken the, the Baroness uh, reading was, was not, it was not written in my notes. I just, it was something that I had been thinking about, and I thought, oh, I, I do want yeah. to ask you about that, because it's, yeah. it's so fascinating how you, you had me engaging with this tactile reading that I'm often only peripherally aware of. Yeah, and um, but the good thing is that if people are more interested in the immersive experience, they can take that, they, can, they mm. have the opportunity to do that. And it's quite a different, even though it's exactly the same words, yeah. it's, quite a, it's quite a different reading experience. And the tone is quite different as well. But people tell me that um, they get more into the characters when they just read it conventionally front to back. Okay. I found myself thinking very much, um, and I didn't ask you about this, perhaps I should have, uh, about the way you, as I say, you've, you've crafted authentic voices, but what I, what I was always aware of in the back of my mind was that throughout, many of these voices shifting through time are still Alula. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Which, was, which was wonderful. Um, it was also, it's also just, I mean, I, I think that sort of tactile reading I keep referring to is often I'm often aware of it in the negative, and I wonder I wonder your thoughts on this because I think a, a wide reader and a savvy reader comes to recognise conventions that are perhaps even unspoken, and you, you can you you know within a hundred pages of the end of a book you often know what's going to happen, and I, I found crossings confounded that from me because I didn't know whether I had a hundred pages more to go where you had to do certain things. Do you, have a, do you have that sense of, you, you know, you know what the convention is going to suggest next when you're reading? Absolutely. And um, I think Crossings plays on that a lot uh, in the way that it borrows from so many different kinds of genre. Like, so the, the city of God... I mean, the education of a monster is, like, uh, is obviously a gothic story in the Edgar Allan Poe sense. But I didn't read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe. I just kind of drew on the repertoire that you accumulate over a lifetime of reading. Mm. Just as uh, with City of Ghosts, that's kind of like a, a noir romance. But I didn't, I didn't read up on, um, uh, you know, all, all your classics, Raymond Chandler and all that. Yeah. I, just, I just kind of, uh, you know, it's parody. But now I, I find myself at something of a crossing. Because I chose to engage with the book in a particular way, that has meant that I've ignored the other way to, to read. And I only have my perspective now to offer you. And within the book, this, this need not be a limitation. Alula introduces to us the spiritual concept of crossing, where two beings may exchange souls and bodies, um, ostensibly only for a, a short period, and essentially seeing the world through another's eyes. Do you see this, well, we've, we've just talked about this a little bit, do you see this as a skill that we're lacking, and is this something you hope to foster or at least reflect on? Well, this is a story about empathy, in a way. Um, 
this is a story about what I call radical empathy and the moral implications of radical empathy because empathy even though we see right we rightly see empathy as a good um, it also has a certain it has moral complexities and so what these bodies do uh, as they cross from one body into another they they run into the the moral limits if you like of of um, empathy which um, include issues like appropriation Example. So, uh, in the course of the novel, at times um, characters inhabit the body of, for example, a young slave woman or a woman with a disfigurement, and so that raises, to me, that that was an interesting thing to do because it raises uh, issues around uh, what we often talk about when we talk about whether writers are able or authorized to write about. Um, the experiences of people who are radically different from their own self. Mm. I was actually, I was absolutely fascinated as you had Charles Baudelaire musing on the possibility of living life as a woman and and you have this sort of uplifting, but sorry, for myself it was this uplifting moment of uh, exploring perspective, but then you, probably quite rightly for the character, made him be a bit of a, ask about it and very very arrogantly sort of reassuming that male position um where it, it, it he only wanted to be a certain type of woman um it was it was it was wonderfully wrought though and you played with my emotions so much there <laughs> oh great i'm glad to hear it but i mean the the central issue that these characters have when they're looking to go from one body into another is what kind of body would you choose for yourself if you had to choose another body mm. and honest yes of course charles baudelaire uh, was misogynistic and i think there's uh, some historical evidence to show that in fact that's not too far from the truth but mm. on a broader level um, the question is also one of practicalities and common sense. If you were to, if you were forced to choose a new body for yourself, would you choose the body of a, of an empowered and privileged person, or mm. of a, of a dis, disempowered and underprivileged person? And I hope that what my book does is it explores both of those things, and it shows that sometimes the um, advantages of choosing a privileged person in, may not be as advantageous as would first appear. Mm. I was also interested in the way you uh, peripherally engaged, I guess, with the the neuroscience behind this and the way that a, a mind within a body would ultimately be shaped by that body's by that body's meat, by the uh, ultimately the way a brain has been wired before a new mind enters it. And I, I think I think that alone is is something that people can really dive deep into, especially if they're they're interested in those sort of more fantastical science elements at the fringes. I hope, I'm not a very scientific person, but I certainly wanted to play with the um, with the idea that there would be there was a duality whenever one entered into a new body that there was the old and the new, and that they they somehow had to find a way to connect, and that it was slightly different each time, and that mm. sometimes the the new body might ho- hijack the old soul and take it to places it did not intend to go. I couldn't help but note, uh, particularly throughout the tale of the albatross, Alula must confront the changes being wrought 
on her world at large by France's colonial ambitions throughout the, the 18th, 19th, 20th century. And this is, this is very much brought to a head in the tale of Edmond de Bressy. Sitting here in, in 2019, it can be difficult to take in the full scope of damages committed by modern colonial expansion. Was, was the tale of the albatross and Alula's story a way of exploring this? Absolutely. I think one of the things I'm proudest of in this novel, uh, which is designed to entertain and to give pleasure, is the fact that at some point um, the reader comes into uh, a recounting of uh, the history of a, French, of a fictional French Polynesian island uh, and um, really gets to come to, to head face-to-face with uh, that, that colonial process, which I think mm. has patterns that are replicated in other colonial contexts as well. Mm. It's definitely something that in Australia we have a growing awareness of, but very little, it seems, in the, in the broader consciousness, ability to take that perspective, that radical empathy that, um, that you've described, and, and even concepts like intergenerational trauma, the way people will know that term but perhaps not engage with it in its fuller sense because... We aren't like some of your characters. We don't have the ability to experience that across generations. Except through books. Mm, except and, through uh, books. <laughs> and, 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 of course, uh, other uh, media, but especially books. And, and I think that's the point I'm trying to make, because at, mm. the, end, at the end of the reading process, I, want, I, I would love for readers to feel as if some kind of crossing has occurred with them, that, that somehow there has been an exchange and that they are embodied with a new kind of perspective, if you like. Because I think that's what happens when you read. And, and in that sense, the meditation on reading and, as you alluded to earlier, how we construct meaning through reading. Mm. Now, of course, all of this would be impossible if you did not or we did not have the words to relate our experiences and the power or perhaps the lack thereof to communicate. I mean, it hinges on on Baudelaire's education of a monster as the poet seeks an, an individual whose mastery of words might suit his own. We also learn uh, that the impact of a crossing can be to reduce the recipient to a repeated, single, perhaps meaningful word the danger must also have occurred to you as you crafted so many disparate voices within crossings. If you couldn't make them authentic, if you couldn't make them believable, the reader would be drawn out of the, this immersive process. What does it mean to you, this is something writers do, to speak in another person's voice? Well, it's an interesting question because, um, in a way, I mean, people often uh, allude to the ambition of crossings in the sense that it, it goes over 150 years. Uh, and, you know, seven different lifetimes. But I didn't really kind of consider that as um, a daunting task. Rather, in the writing of it, I just let the language take over Mm. in every period. And I kind of took on some of the dominant forms of narrative of the period in order to uh, uh, shape the language, if you like. So there's colonial literature, there's maritime literature, there's um, kind of a slave plantation uh, chapter where um, I drew on uh, slave narratives, um, there's war literature, there's dandyism as well. So, And I just kind of immersed myself in those kinds of texts from those kinds of periods and mm. really kind of just let the language take over. Mm. It's an absolutely fantastic 
achievement, though. Um, you, you spoke about that so casually, but it's an absolutely fantastic achievement what we have here in Crossings. I am speaking with Alex Landrigan, and, and the novel we are discussing is, cross, in, is Crossings. Um, we've alluded to this fantastic story. We probably haven't touched too much on the, the romance and the murder and the the elements that you can never talk about in an interview. But Alex, I want to thank you so much. And I really want to invite people to go out and discover your, your crossings. Well, I hope they do. And I'm really grateful for the, for the opportunity to talk to you about it. Andrew, it's my favorite topic of conversation. <laughs> it's been great having you on the show. That's it for this great conversation with Alex Landrigan. Alex's new novel is Crossings and it's out now through Picador. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and on Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER and click subscribe in your podcast app to get great new conversations every week. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more Final Draft Great Conversations. Till then, happy reading.